Tannenbaum yourself! In honor of Asteroid City and Wes Anderson, what would be the title of your book Were You Born Into the Tannenbaum Family? I'm Katie Rich. I feel like no matter what I suggest, Royal Tenenbaum would not approve, which is maybe the only appropriate answer. Uh, so I went with Pimento Cheese and the Frisk Lighting Dusk Light, a South Carolina childhood. Nice. <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I'm Matt Patches. I'm not that creative. I'm going to just go with The John. The John. <laughs> is, is, is John something that comes with a the or is it just a John? Well, or are you the John in this? Look, read the book. Situation. I'm not, I don't have to answer this. Hi, <laughs> uh, it's me, David the Seven. I'm going to go with JFKFC, just four kids from Colorado growing up South Park. And I'm David Ehrlich, and uh, all the credit in the world to Dave and Katie for their creative answers. This is the rare lightning round question that really would have benefited from taking more time to prepare for. Uh, <laughs> wow. So I'm just going to wow. go with it. I'm also going to go with the John, but I'm going to publish it. Before patches goes to market <laughs> and steal Philadelphia Valor, that is embarrassing. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, do something with actually really like uh, shoot you in the butt with an arrow or something, yeah. or in the foot. That all checks out. <laughs> Love it. Actually, you guys having a feud about your exact title memoirs is a very Wes Anderson <laughs> thing about what thought, so I'm here for it. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Rooms, episode 434. It is the week of Wednesday, June 21st. That's the summer solstice. Solstice, I can talk. Uh, that's also the day that in 1966, a great summer romp, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? was released as the directorial debut of Mike Nichols, starred Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Came out in theaters. It's a good Imagine going fest. on a date to see that movie. Yeah, it's a great movie to go see on a date, I bet. Yeah, really gonna um, set your relationship up for success. It's probably maybe, actually, like, maybe it's like a date night nightmare movie. Maybe like a date's fine, because then you're, you know, sympathizing with the correct characters. <laughs> I mean, is that I haven't seen it in a while. Aren't all the characters bad? Isn't that what we learn at the end? Oh, that's that's yeah. the end. Maybe it's just the main. That's two. the end of all human history, Katie. Oh, all right, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, I'm, I understand we might have a review or something to preserve us from talking about. I don't know Zelda or whatever. Oh, and there's a whole I'm new to way to play Marvel Snap, but we don't get to talk about it because we at least have one <laughs> yeah. email. Uh, do we have a review? I don't get it. Okay, I'm not talking about it. I'm sorry. Some of us are, some of us uh, definitely get it and have already qualified for the Infinity Conquest, but whatever. Um, Yeah, we have, we have two new reviews. The first is from Cody Lunsford, who says, this is the only podcast brave enough to cover the road to Wellsville. That's true. I mean, are we the only (laughs) podcast? There are so many movie podcasts, but I think it's not entirely impossible that we are actually the only podcast that has covered the road to Wellsville. We might be the only people to have watched it in the past 15 <laughs> years. Um, that sounds unlikely, but who knows? Uh, anyway, uh, Fighting in the War Room is maybe the best weekly peek into pop culture of the moment. Big fan of the show and the larger Fighting in the War Room verse. I never miss an episode of Little Gold Men. I did the Lost rewatch before with The Storm. And wow. if Patches or David started any other podcast, I'd instantly subscribe. Uh, this is a David editorial here, which is I, I'm Should sorry, Dave. I can't I can't help it. But every time <laughs> I hear about the storm, the storm of spoilers, anything with the word storm in, I just think it's like a 
and neo-Nazi podcast. Uh, and maybe you have one of those. No, I don't they're here to reclaim the word. Storms yeah. are for everybody. Uh, I don't, it doesn't certainly doesn't be, uh, predate Stormfront or any of that shit, but okay. Um, anyway, uh, my question for the hosts. Are you big physical media collectors? If so, what are the 4K special editions or collector's versions that you think every physical media collector should have? Thanks for the show. Looking forward to reading Dave Seven and Joanna's Marvel book. Hey. Aren't we all? BMCUbook.com. Um, yeah, back in the DVD era, I had all sorts of uh, fancy-ass editions, like from the imported Region 3 old boy D4 set, 4 DVD set that came in a purple box with a bow on it, uh, which is very appropriate for that movie, to, you know, whatever else they were selling. But now, the only Blu-rays I have are the ones that Criterion is kind enough to send me, and I love my Criterion collection, mm. and uh, beyond that... Basically, all, wow. I have, all I have room for in my tiny apartment. So you don't um, buy really? anything. So I'm not. Yeah, I'm you not. Don't... I'm not up to speed on what's happening with steelbooks or collectors' uh, editions. Occasionally, I hear that a movie like that I deeply loved, like After Sun, is available on Blu-ray, and there's definitely a part of me that that wants to just <laughs> buy that so I can have it on my shelf. But that is a level of disposable income I don't necessarily have right now. Or or space in and, your and apartment. Space. I really feel like space in your apartment. Space having is my been in your apartment issue. recently. Yeah, I don't want. Uh, I don't. I no longer want to see humble brag. Katie was in, in my apartment home. recently. That's oh, true. And humble yeah. brag patches. He's still complaining about space, even though he moved to Jersey, which I feel like is uh, supposed to solve that problem. Patches well, I mean, when you have two no, children, no, I just to clarify, I never would. Losing a lot of space. Yeah, David has uh, never visited true. my home. And I never will. Well, no, that's not true. I'm hoping. And when I tried to visit his home, he said he didn't want me to come over. I did mm. not say that. He, I texted him. I said, I'm actually just hanging out and I'd love to see your kids. I've never met them. And he said, there's no way this happened. But I was just like, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> I have the receipts. It was one year ago today. We're going we're to start a Patreon. And if we raise enough money, you'll release the receipts of David. Uh, I, I, I would in every conceivable situation that I can think of. Top of my head, love nothing more than Matt Patches to visit. There must have been some extenuating circumstances, but. We will cross paths soon. Are out of pumpkin Dave, ice cream or something. Dave, are you are you <laughs> Dave, are you still collecting I mean, physical media? You seem like the most likely. I mean, I definitely uh, do have discs that I get uh, that I would classify as like in the form of uh, collecting. But I don't know if there's anything that you absolutely has have to have. Uh, what I would start doing now, though, is if I find a movie that I like on a disc at a price point that I could you know uh stomach I, i'm not paying hundreds of dollars for dvd sets uh i'll get it because i you don't know you never know when these things are going to disappear completely so yeah this weekend i uh, went to target to because i missed one of my cousin's birthdays and so i'm gonna switch out the present for something else and i had to switch out the cards from like a happy birthday to like a happy fourth um too much information there <laughs> they make fourth of july they make fourth of july cards they make cards no for everything someone's got to really keep uh, hallmark uh, paid for uh but i picked up <laughs> five ninja turtle movies for ten dollars in the target i was in because they just had like this grouping wait target sells criterion discs you got five of the teenage mm -hmm. ninja turtle movies uh yeah oh. All, all in the criterion. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't, I don't believe those are criterions. But no, sorry. no, no. no I'm just, sorry, it was I, one box. It was only one spine. I'm, I'm saying like that's <laughs> that's the kind of physical media that I've actually have been collecting is because it's like if you see it and it's like dirt cheap like that and you love those Trash. movies, like who knows? You never Wait, know when five movies you said. Yeah, five. What is in this collection? The 
the three the live, live action, action trilogy. Ones, okay. Uh, TMNT, the first animated one, and yeah. the Turtles uh, versus Batman, the animated one. What? Wow. Yeah. Didn't know that. That went direct to video. Yeah. Well, I mean, sounds rad. But that being said, if you are looking for like collector's edition things, the um, the Godzilla Toho collection from Criterion uh, was discounted a little bit ago. It might still be discounted. But if you could afford to pick that up, I love that more than having to scroll through Max and watching the shitty cuts they have there. Yeah, uh, there's no, no, defense, no defense of uh, streaming platforms here. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I have built up enough library that I think for the rest of my lifetime, I'll be finding new movies that I own that I haven't watched or that I'm happy to rewatch. But uh, David, yeah, you were just flagging some of the individual releases that came out recently that you loved. I was trying to think. Um, there's a huge new Pasolini set that Criterion's putting out, which is really beautifully done. Um, I actually bought a Criterion yeah. recently because Spike Lee, this was like maybe right at the end of last year, Spike Lee was selling signed copies of the Criterion Malcolm X oh. edition. Oh. And I didn't know you could just like, I, get, I mean, I guess if you're the director of the movie, you can sell Criterion discs in your personal shop that you've signed. Maybe if you bought them. And I was like, wow. Yeah, he paid for them with his on Instagram, money. he was promoting it. So I was like, I'll, I'll buy this for a friend of the, the show, Chris Rosen, who loves Spike Lee as mm. much as I do. And I, I was going to get it for, for him for Christmas. He already owned it. So then I just kept this copy of Spike He already Lee's. owned a signed copy? Or? He already owned the Malcolm X, so. Okay, he, he didn't, didn't want to sign he, copy. Just, that I is fascinating. Yeah, things that so I've happened I've across. Copy of Malcolm X. I've happened across recently that I would also say buy because they seem to be they're disappearing or degrading in quality. Uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of talk recently about how the only streaming French Connection has some dialogue cut out of it. Oh yeah, you still need to get that on disc. Uh, that disc is going up on pr- going. It reads a lot of price. Hollywood elsewhere. That's where he got that. Yeah, I know. I mean. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, it, it's been it, reported it says, out by real yeah. people since then. So I'm just <laughs> noting well, that uh, as it, I it talked sets, about it, sets a, a concerning precedent. But in this particular case, I don't really feel like uh, the spirit of the it's that onion headline. The guy you hate is right once. Or no, yeah. but, you know, this this particular I, I don't think uh, you need to buy a copy of the French Connection in this particular instance, just because you are going to the movie's going to be incomplete without a mention of the N word or something like that. Uh, uh, but, that yeah. is also it's a dangerous precedent that is very common in the streaming area. You do not own media unless you own physical media. You are simply renting it at a premium, right. being fooled into thinking you, you own it. If, so if you're a David Lynch fan, buy Wild at Heart. That's so hard to get a hold of. Not only did I talk about it when I went to go see a screening of it, but I was reading uh, Laura Dern and Diane Ladd's book this weekend where they have conversations and she mentions how hard it was to get Wild at Heart for her son to watch. So seems like if you could buy a disc of Wild at Heart, that'd be that'd be worthwhile. That sounds like a great... Uh book also yeah and then the 4k 2001 uh is recently got moved to a different pay level of max so even if you wanted to stream 2001 uh you need to pay for whatever the 4k stream level is so i would say buy buy 4k discs when you can i mean i bought a shitty dvd of the abyss because i'm now kind of convinced that james cameron will die before he remasters the abyss to let it be released (laughs) on blu-ray so it may on land i've been talking about it but like they've been talking, they, they, that's, they've James been saying Cameron's that for death? 15 years. 
Like, I don't know, man. 2035. I it, oh. We're going to push it back to 2035. Yeah. Yeah. Come out do. after it Avatar better be 5. be after 2031 at this point, his death. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got to release all the Avatar movies first. So anyway, that was the first physical media I'd bought in a really long time. And um, I'm very happy I own The Abyss for all the reasons we've been yeah. mentioning. Physical media is the greatest. And if I didn't have two children, I would be uh, still in the habit of buying it on a regular basis. But um, there's still a lot of great like stuff it. out there. There are a lot of labels boutique labels beyond the criterion collection that are putting out essential releases your you library probably has great access to physical media like i watched sure. i think it's all that jazz is the fossey movie that like you can't really stream and i watched it because i got it from the library it was great i was thrilled oh fuck that reminds me i need to return the library book that i rented with asa about sharks um anyway. yeah yeah I think, uh, I think that one is available for streaming though yeah it does come with an audio component where like the book reads out loud to you in a very discerning, very uh, oh, disconcerting yeah. voice. I, I thought that would be yeah. a, disconcerting a, a feature in the book. But Can you it's give like, us a... It's like Matt, it's Matt Patch's voice. I don't know if you remember recording this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, kids! <laughs> they're, yeah. not, they're not paying you enough Here's a John! Sharks, how about Here's that? Here's a shark you'll really appreciate, Asa. And I'm like, no! <laughs> um... <laughs> Anyway, deep cut. Did we have uh, another review or an email reference. or something before uh, yeah. we got uh, up on this? Kurt Mega says five stars with one giant nit to pick. Love Ooh. the show. Love the insight. A must listen every week. However, I beg of the podcast, they say in all capital letters. You can hear a laptop clicking and clacking away in the background. <gasps> it's Matt Patches. Wonder. And it's almost mm. only sure, it's yeah. almost only when Katie or Matt or Dave are talking. So uh, I can only <laughs> surmise it's David. Hey, you don't know that they don't type hmm. and talk at the same time. They're David's, David has some really important tweets to send during the podcast. Everyone needs to understand that. <laughs> God, I tweet like once a week now. Please. I'm too my hands are too busy playing Marvel Snap during the podcast. Uh, the I day, love I this mean, show. At least that's quiet. Touchscreen. Literally years. Like maybe the entire existence of this podcast, David typing has been something we've yelled at him about. Just, just, yeah. just so this listener knows. Um, and I used to have a dedicated podcast microphone, and uh, that died. So now it's raw <laughs> dogging it into my iMac maybe microphone. Trade some of those Criterion discs for uh, yeah. Do we need to get you? Do we need to have a fundraiser to get you a microphone? A fundraiser for so many things. I would embezzle funds from that fundraiser <laughs> to like pay for <laughs> Ace's daycare. Uh, it's the only fundraiser <laughs> I've been a part of where I wouldn't feel too bad to do that. Uh, I don't intend this to sound snide or rude. Oh, wait, sorry. Go back. I love this show, but it's been so grating in my earphones numerous times that I've skipped entire sections or just tuned out. I don't intend this to sound snide or rude. I'm genuinely just wanting to provide a little this is not feedback rude. about what the, it's not rude at all about what the listeners are hearing. Perhaps I've been ruined by like high quality audio podcasts. This. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the word audio there is is really a saving grace. Uh, we specifying the high quality audio podcast. Uh, but in the year of our Lord 2023, muting when not speaking is a very simple and efficient option to enhance quality in a meaningful way. Love the show. Otherwise, sincerely, Kurt Mega. I, I really appreciate. <laughs> I really appreciate or appreciate, as Matt Patches would say, uh, your tact. And bringing this this obviously irksome problem to our attention. Unfortunately, there's no way to solve it, but we will continue no, uh, applying our best scientists uh, to the issue and uh, hope that maybe in future generations we can rectify this injustice. When Asa takes over a hook, when when Asa, podcast, right? We'll in the, the fighting the war room, the new class. Uh, when the fifth avatar comes out, I yeah. will bequeath <laughs> Asa a podcast microphone and strict instructions to not type. 
while he is uh, talking or anyone else is talking, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I'll try to be better about that. Sorry. We also have one email. Uh, if you don't want to struggle with the Apple Podcast app, then leave us a review there. I wonder who that could be. Bad time for David to get a mechanical keyboard. Tickety clack. I'm Tom Hanks. Oh boy. This one is titled Reagan and Abortion, I guess. And it reads this Hello. Long time listener, first time caller, etc. I felt compelled to write in after the on this day section <laughs> last week. By coincidence, I'm currently reading uh, Way Out There in the Blue, a book mainly about the Star Wars Missile Defense Project, as recommended by Jacob Geller's wonderful video about space lasers. Oh, which, awesome. Which also serves as a mini biography of Reagan. The bill, uh, that just, the bill has just come up in the chapter I finished. It feels weird to say that Reagan legalized abortions in California, but it doesn't sound like he knew what he was signing when he pointed out when it, it was pointed out to him that he had effectively legalized abortions in California. He complained that there were loopholes in the bill that had confused him. I recommend the book so far. It has the right amount of snark for me. For instance, there's a Nancy Reagan quote saying how it was difficult to get to know him, saying it felt like he had a wall around him. The author then adds people simply suppose there is supposed to be something behind the wall. Anyway, oh, burn. Yeah, super long so time. What's the name of the book again? Can you repeat? The, can you repeat the title? Uh, way out there in the blue. Okay. Sounds fun. Uh, Sounds anyway, good. super long time listener, going back to the Apkino days. Thank you all for letting us listen into your world weekly, and also thank you, Dave, for the music recommendations sprinkled in. I even put Patches by Clarence Carter on a road trip mix CD, and it went down a treat. It's actually a pretty good song. <laughs> Keep up the great work, Ben. Good email. Yeah, you what? could email oh, us. At, book recommendations. Okay, yeah, yeah, go. You could email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com, and you could give us your international reviews that are on other iTunes stores. You could respond with book recommendations or anything like that. Uh, send us an email. Uh, all right. Well, for our tidbit, apparently this is a subject that, and I quote, really got Matt Patches going. So <laughs> uh, hang on to your hats, I was just sitting alone in my room getting going on this topic. Um, I'm but, all lotioned uh, up and ready to go for this oh, extraction to talk. Let's go. I, life is full of surprises. Um, the, le- the least surprising part of the story is that they made a sequel to the Netflix original extraction. Uh, apparently it was there were a lot of view hours uh, or so we're told. <laughs> And uh, Netflix, I Viewed think, was, uh, many minutes. Yeah, there was enough publicity around it that they, they were sort of pot committed to making a sequel to the Chris Hemsworth action extravaganza extraction, a movie that I saw and reviewed uh, and thought was really sort of representative of everything wrong with the streaming and in finger quotes here, streaming blockbuster uh, culture, the idea of that. Um, and uh, then they made an extraction too, as you said. Uh, it's directed by the same guy whose name escapes me right Art now. Reeve. Yeah, thank you. I was going to say Sam Hugan, but that's not right. Um, and Extraction that's was the, the he was like a guy. stunt. He's a stunt performer, and Extraction was the first movie he directed. Now he directed the sequel. Uh, and I saw, you know, this is a movie that I had sort of consigned myself to never ever see. I'm on paternity leave right now. Uh, I thought I'd sort of dodged a bullet. Um, I thought yeah, I yeah, but it's produced by your guy Joe Russo. You love the Russo. <laughs> yes, 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 it's true. <laughs> I'm famous for being a big uh, Russo bro, bro. 
And uh, I, I thought I think that it's I called Ag Bro. An Ag Bro. That's very yeah, funny. Really funny. Um, and uh, um, I uh, thought I had been extracted Tyler Rake style uh, from having to see this movie. But then I was seeing all these tweets and reviews saying that people couldn't believe how much of an improvement Extraction 2 was over Extraction 1. And I, uh, I don't know. One night I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I got to check this out. I want to see what's up. I'd heard about a long take in the film's first act that upped the ante on the long take in the original film, which is something like 12 minutes long. And I wanted to see what all that was about. And so I sat down and watched it. And what I was treated to, and we're, we're only going to hone in on the long take aspect here, but I was treated to a movie that is, uh, in my, to my infinite surprise, a, a fair step up from the first one. I mean, it's a low bar to clear, uh, but there, this is big, stupid, muscular fun. It is a lot more engagingly paced and plotted than the first one. Um, they seem to have found some kind of character for Tyler Rake to be as Chris Hemsworth's character. Uh, Goldschiff to Fariani as his uh, like second in command or his right wing woman or whatever you want to call her uh, is just like such a cool action star. I really loved seeing her in this movie. Um, but there is a 21, 22 minute long take in the first act when he is extracting these people from a Georgian prison. Mm. Uh, and it is a I'm long imagining take. the Leonardo DiCaprio meme right now. Like, hey, that's 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 the extraction. <laughs> hey, look, yeah. the <laughs> uh, it sure is the extraction. Um, and it is uh, it starts you know with them entering the bowels of this prison and it ends uh, on a train where he Chris Hemsworth is standing on a rail gun, blowing up helicopters, um, and this is all you know, ostensibly presented as one contiguous action. Uh, there are, of course, as is part of the course these days, something like 49 and again, finger quotes, invisible digital cuts uh, where they've sewn all the parts of this not shot quite together. invisible. Uh, yeah, I, that, I, yeah, I would. I, I, there is actually at one point, And again, this is all by definition sort of unfolding in real time. Uh, there is a point where they're fighting in the prison yard in what seems to be the dead of night. And then the fight sort of spills out into the uh, outer ring area of the prison, and the sun has clearly been rising for about 30 <laughs> I took that minutes. as a nod to the Transformers uh, <laughs> Michael Bay movies, where they're constantly like zipping from night to day, night to day. They're on other yeah. sides of the earth, and but, it's daytime um, in all those yeah. <laughs> And what we're really talking about here, something we've sort of talked about before, maybe, uh, is what is the, what, when, you know, what is the value of these? long takes when they are so clearly digitally stitched together is they do they lose some or all of their uh effectiveness when they are not done for real when there are all these cheats in there um i would argue that in this you know because so much of the, the long take and this is definitely something we talked about before is really a uh a choice that i think is motivated by time stretching time across space and trying to like you know allow in a viewer's mind without cuts Placing things up to appreciate the relationship spatially, temporally from one action to another. Uh, so when you do see an entire extraction in one fell swoop, you can understand the fullness of what's happening here and what entailed and in a way more visceral and direct than you might uh, in a traditionally edited sequence. Um, but in something like this, which, you know, uses its advantage, uses the technical, the, the digital tools that are available to it to do all these impossible things that your brain could never believe a camera crew could actually pull off. I find that, you know, whatever benefit there is to seeing what Tyler does at his job um, without interruption is offset, you know, to a, a way that is more harm than good 
by the constant attention it calls to how faked it's been. Whereas in other action sequences in the movie, you're just sort of accepting it on face value and suspending disbelief. This approach sort of disallows you the suspension of disbelief that it's hoping to achieve. That was my feeling watching it. Patches, and then for all of that, for all that bullshittery, I still thought it was pretty cool. But it, it is not. It is not. <laughs> it's cool. It's on cool its, because the individual. It's cool because the individual stunts and a lot of the camera work becomes cool. But I don't know if it's cool because it's all stitched together that that it's fluid i mean I, i'm very curious you know you you mentioned that we have probably had a conversation about oneers and, and long shots before maybe when we talked about gravity eons ago or birdman or 1917 the northman yeah. sure yeah uh but i do think it's time to have a, a different kind of conversation about or like what Sam Hargrave and these other action directors are feeling challenged by. We did a bigger interview with Sam on on Polygon where he stressed, like, the reason I wanted to do it was immersiveness. Like, I want to bring people into the movie more than you would if you were, like, just chopping it up. Um, and I don't necessarily understand that. I, I read this, and, and when I was watching the movie, it made me think, like, does everyone have animation envy? Is this different than what Robert Zemeckis was telling us motion capture was for what steven spielberg loved about making tintin but now we're trying to do it with just live action is this is this video game envy where all of these you know modern warfare and all and all of these types of war movies and action games or war games and action games have been able to create immersive fluid explosive action scenes and now we need to rival that i, I wonder what like what is truly gained i i, I understand more of maybe doing like Birdman and having theatrical uh, dramatic movement and character interactions and the farce of, of sticking with one perspective or, or mother was this way too, right? The Aronofsky film wasn't mother like it was not in on Jennifer Lawrence or just maybe a few not shots to this degree. I, I mean, there were some sequences, okay. but I think, I think mother was mostly like for sequences that even approached like sort of like, you know, one or length the way that we think about it were mostly in camera but it didn't try anything as virtuosic as what they're pulling off here sure but in the in those instances we're, we're very much about character and character interaction and uh here we're really just about i i don't know what they're trying to do with the wonder what is the point of 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 going from the jail cell extraction scene to uh, a foot chase through uh, the the like factory and then onto a train and then where Chris Hemsworth is crawling to the top of the train and we see him blast away a helicopter <laughs> like it what why why can't those be individual scenes would they slow well, down if they were I mean, if I they think... were cut would it feel monotonous but now there's somehow momentum if we drift the camera into the the jeeps that are having a car chase and and drifting out of them like it's video game logic right this is, I mean, the, this most is the, cynical, the most cynical thing to say would be that it's sort of a, a marketing stunt. It's a hook for the movie, something to separate it from the interminable dross that's on Netflix. It's more than just another action movie. I do think that, you know, like Mission Impossible Fallout style, which has like a 35 minute action sequence across the middle of the movie that starts with a halo jump and spills out through the streets of Paris. It is sort of one contiguous action sequence, even though it's interrupted from time to time by other business. Uh, it is traditionally shot and cut. But because of how it's done, you understand the flow. You understand how Ethan Hunt got from point A to point B and you feel how epic that quest is. Yeah, I think if you had shot this in a traditional way, you could have pulled it off 
you maybe not with the same sort of like leaning forward, hold your breath. I was reading, maybe it was the Polygon interview. Maybe it was another interview the director did something that was interesting, which is it's like acknowledging how passive viewing can be on streaming, knowing that this yep. movie was intended for a streaming audience and not for theaters and needing something, a gimmick that is going to make people look up from their phones and pay attention. And on that level, on that or on not terms, look away in this right. case, like if you're on waiting terms, for the, the downbeat, you might look. This is phone. effective because you're just sort of, you know, in lost in the thrall of what they're doing here cool. and how this is going to go. And if you look away, you are going to lose track of how Tyler Rake, hashtag Tyler Rake, got from point A to point B. And you will have to pause and roll it back as you can do um, and see how he got from the prison yard with his arm on fire to how, like, I literally paused it and rewound it when I was like, wait, when did the sun come out? And uh, what I discovered uh, was disappointing. Um, but, uh, you know, it, 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 it works on those terms. But they do sort of get the worst of both worlds because they put four or five months of planning into doing this, rehearsing every little part of it, even if they're going to later to stitch it all together. And then when they do stitch it all together, you know, you end up getting something that that feels like it was stitched together. Um, and so you have all the physical labor involved and then the computer trickery that's required to pull it off sort of robs you of the, the thrill of that labor. Um, yeah, it reminds but, me about in like Fast and the Furious 9, Justin Lin made a big deal that they were going to crash actual cars through buildings in that scene where the magnet is like dragging sports cars through glass, pane glass. And, and you watch the behind the scenes video and it's, it's astonishing. They're really crashing the cars. Then you watch the video and it's like, did you put makeup on this yeah. scene? Like by the time you digitally enhance it and, and polish it, it, it looks completely fake. Uh, this movie has moments. I mean, the, the jail brawl, where it's just Hemsworth and a knife and doing the John Wick mode. Um, that stuff hits, and there's like a cool segue to a locked camera angle where he's like, he's been knocked out by a brick, and we're getting a totally different type of filmmaking locked on his face. Um, and, and, then, and they're still drifting through digital stitching in this continuous shot. I thought that was cool, but like, none of it really has momentum. None of it hits like a John Wick action scene where you start thinking like locked off cameras well, help cuts but i did think help. you know this isn't necessarily what we're talking about but i do to the to um extraction to his credit ironically you know far removed from the wonder style that we're talking about here those sequences you're talking about where it is just chris hemsworth and a knife and some you know 90s standard issue georgian bad guys uh who are fighting <laughs> with each other it is realistic they do keep it realistic enough that it actually avoids the uncanny valley eyes glazing over effect that you get from, I would say, the last two John Wick movies, um, because things are not so over the top um, in stark contrast to the Wonder. Uh, so I, I found something kind of nostalgically satisfying about a lot of the other action in this movie or parts of the other action set pieces. Um, but yeah, whenever whenever things, you know, as things as want to do, filmmakers are wont to do these days, whenever they get a little ahead of their skis with these digital tools. It quickly becomes pretty uninteresting, but it does. I mean, I think that element about the purpose of a one in terms of streaming viewing is probably the most salient point as far as like why they tried it, why they might be trying to do it again in the future. You know, how are they going to up the ante for Extraction 3, which is already in development? Um, I don't know, but uh, it, this is a really weird split case for like, they're making movies for a modern audience using modern tools and those 
movies are telling us that we desperately need to roll back the clocks and make movies a little bit more like we used to. So before we wrap up, I want Dave, I wanted you to jump in here because I am thinking still about animation and something I saw a lot of criticism against Michael Bay when Rise of the Beast came out mm-hmm. and uh, a clip was going around that like, oh, here's one continuous shot of all the the robots fighting and this is so much better than what Michael Bay did, which was all like chopped to bits. But I think a lot of us in this room like Dark of the Moon, like there there is the the peaks of Michael Bay Transformers chaos. And I was a little confused why Bayhem, just what he called yeah, that. the Bayhem. Yeah. Uh, like why people think just because there's a like a continuous scene where you can see all the Transformers rampaging at each other. I, this is what made me connect Extraction 2 to like animation envy because, oh, suddenly you can do everything. And you don't have to cut away. You can camera can swoop in while Optimus Primal is bashing whoever. And like you don't have to cut as if that is some sort of positive. Whereas I feel like Michael Bay these days, I'm like. I'm anxious to get back to lots of angles and the right camera choice. He he was going mildly viral even today in a a quote about like crashing IMAX cameras and spending (laughs) $50,000 ruining camera rigs just to like get that perfect smash cut, literal smash cut. Um, What what do you make of like extraction and and maybe the animation of it all? Do you think it's animation envy? Is is this what CG is, is like testing? live action filmmakers to do i'm not sure if you see a connection i don't know if i see a connection there uh but like there's always like lots of people could shoot a movie but there's an art to the type of montage and what doesn't surprise me is that action has uh latched on to the long take as one of the tricks in its bag where it's not something like you know, the rope or that X-Files episode triangle where it's mostly drama, but it's all about how can you hide the cuts by panning around corners and doing wipes or moving through shadows and hiding the cuts that way. I think 1917, a lot of its great uh, stitching together of different takes is actually not in the action sequences. So I'd also put that like that's a type of filmmaking where you've made a decision. But from action, I was uh, watching the stuntman react uh uh, corridor crew youtube video last week and it has jj perry who did stunt coordination for you know avatar the way of the water john wick 2 uh fast nine things like that and he was saying the second you cut the audience is taken out of the realism of the situation and i don't know if that's true especially when we're talking about like beast wars but the action coordinators seem to think that's true so it, these like magic tricks to hide a whole bunch of stunts apparently in one long uh, take, I do think has a lot to do with keeping eyes locked on you if you're a streaming movie. But I think it has to do with just keeping the the visceral feeling you get when a good stunt or fight sequence happens is like, I'm watching this really happen. And we have the technology now to let that go on for 21 minutes and make people sort of feel like they're really watching something happen. Like I, there's even there's a brief, maybe 20 second one shot sequence in the flash. And I felt it like you, I, we'll get you there. Could, yeah. We're getting there. <laughs> you, you could feel a long take when it's happening. If you've been watching a lot of movies. So there is some sort of like shift in my brain chemistry to look at that. I think I've just learned to look at it more as technology, but it does make sense to me that action movies are trying this because you don't have to be like really good at it. You could see 
you know, the takes and the cuts and people will stick with you. But if there's some way that you could emotionally visually trick somebody into thinking they're not seeing a montage, but still have the power of what montage filmmaking gives you, which is like painting stuff out, switching in doubles. Uh, it's basically like a Texas switch, but over, you know, a bunch of different iterations. I think there's a, a lot of uh, interesting potential to explore in there. But in the case of very specifically that you asked about like animation versus Transformers versus Michael Bay, those are all levels of talent. I could tell animators I want to do a one, uh, one shot take, but unless that's like, you know, the characters aren't being rotated a lot or something like that, uh, it's going to be a lot more trouble than it's going to be worth. Whereas I think something like <clears throat> Beast Wars, like Michael Bay's animating the Transformers fighting in multiple angles. They just had to animate the Transformers fighting once and zoom a camera all around them. So I do think something like that in full CG environments, once again, we'll get to the flash, that starts feeling really lazy and sort of like, we did this because we were in Blender and we realized the camera could go between his legs. Um, you're starting to see the beginning of this with actual photography because there's been some really great drone action photography. Go back to Bay if you look at like Ambulance. Like those are the things where it's like, your mind's telling you that camera movement isn't possible because it's a stunt drone flyer who's professionally like flying through crashes. Uh, and I think that's, you know, a fun way to work with it, but I, I don't know. Cuts, cuts can be so impactful, uh, that I, I don't see a world where, you know, long takes outside of action really pick up as much as uh, they have on their action counterpart. Okay. To wrap up, David, uh, are you going with, the extraction from Extraction Two or the traffic jam from Jean Luc Godard's Weekend, which is the better one? <laughs> <laughs> ne ne next topic. Choose. <laughs> uh, I, I I mean, um, man, uh, My hesitation is telling. You just got I, David no, to defend just, a Russo Brothers movie. I and was, you're gonna make him take it all back. <laughs> I was just trying to imagine what Jean Luc Godard would say about Extraction Two. It's just a real shame that I think Godard, you know, he died before. I, I know he died before Extraction Two. I was not. I think he died before Extraction Two. It's just a shame that he didn't get to live to see this and weigh in on what the Russo brothers and their subordinates, their hirees, have accomplished. <laughs> Uh, for a mini segment, and this can really truly be many. Uh, <laughs> really, I haven't consumed much media lately, but I have been following the coverage of the sub at the Titanic. And I'm with my parents right now, and we're all talking about the sub at the Titanic. And honestly, I don't have a ton of schadenfreude associated with this. I think we'll get into that. I mostly just can't stop thinking about how much I don't want to be in this situation and how I'll never go in a submarine. Uh, clearly, To be clear, by the time people listen to this, it's very possible that the, this crew that has been lost in a submarine down by the Titanic has has died. Uh, this is a very yeah. potentially or, morbid conversation. Or they could be found. That you are, they could, I mean, yes, they, they could, could be. be. It's, not a, it's a very grim situation for people who it's are a very, catching it's up It's a very grim this. situation, uh, but I think it's captivating us. But you love Titanic. I love Titanic. I do not love Titanic enough to go there in a submarine. Um, and I think it's captivating not just for the schadenfreude aspect, which I want to hear you talk about, Patches, but, like, <laughs> it's such a primal fear. Like, I think everyone just is so 
immediately struck by it, kind of like the Titanic itself of like, those are some cold waters. That's some deep water. Like the ocean is terrifying. No one will ever find you. Um, and I just appreciate it when there's a new story that can bring us all together in that way. About our so really, fear. this is this is like testing your Titanic fandom on a, on a level. It's it's say, saying there's certain things I wouldn't do as a Titanic fan. And oh one of them yeah, but I don't think I ever really doubted that. Wait, I mean, wait, like, Katie, pretty, is, this, like, is this a reverse balloon boy for you? Is that what you're saying? You're like, we're all together watching this tragedy and being like, I wouldn't send my kid up in a weather balloon. <laughs> I mean, but he didn't, right? Like, how was the balloon well, we boy didn't a hoax? Know that that was, boy, was there actually a kid in this? No, no, that was a, that was a hoax. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, I, I, guess I watched a raccoon climb a uh, tower in Minnesota one time, too. We were all together th- for that. It's also an opportunity for us. Broke out and were running down the highway. Yeah, I do remember that one. Uh, It's also an opportunity for us who are not billionaires to pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a submarine trip to be like, well, good thing I don't have that kind of money because I don't want to do that anyway. So, uh, but wait, people are being real dicks about this, is what I'm understanding. Well, I think what if there's anything culturally interesting about this? Just horrible, horrible situation. I, I can't emphasize enough that this is this is like real people, but. On one layer, like it's being covered, like it's the it's the birthing cam at a zoo. You know, like when will they be found? When will they run about oxygen? I'm just like I I find the whole coverage to be pretty upsetting, uh, but also like entertainment. So it's it's very strange. Um, but then on the added layer to that is that it feels like all of online discourse and all of online shit posting is kind of colliding into one thing and that people don't know how to feel about like rich old white men uh getting their due and and doing something extremely foolish all the reporting is like this submarine was not safe this this <laughs> and they expedition knew it was, was a total folly and that the that the government multiple governments are now spending lots of money to do this rescue operation it's like there's a lot of criticism of society and and how the internet treats discourse like it's for a form of entertainment and talk about all this stuff that's colliding into something that is just truly tragic and horrible that that like we should be worried and we should we should feel some sort of sympathy for this just horrible horrible situation so you see people like shit posting and making jokes there's a lot of memes out there one thing that we reported over a little on Polygon is that like video games about um, submarines, specifically Iron Lung, uh, has just been like booming on on Steam and getting downloaded. Like people are playing. It's like when the pandemic hit and everyone was renting Contagion. There's something I don't know what's <laughs> wrong with people. Very but this dark think, in our psyche. There's something very dark about this, but people don't know how to how to, to act. And it's very. To, odd. I mean, you know, I, I think on one level you have you know the the. Um, a contempt that people have for the media, which refuses to cover, let's say, like a migrant, a ship full of migrants sinking off the coast of Greece and dozens upon dozens or hundreds of people dying with the same enthusiasm and zeal that they're covering these five rich people at the bottom of the ocean. Um, I think that's a very fair criticism. And but it also, I think, more charitably speaks to how the same sort of I think the same thing that is making this story feel so sort of cinematic is the same thing that is um disconnecting a lot of shit posters as you say on the internet from grappling with the reality of what this must tell these are real people with real lives and real families despite their riches and whatever 
ours, you know, if you can imagine the world. <laughs> Rich people um, can have families too, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, firmly believe that we should not have billionaires, and uh, but I don't think they should necessarily be crushed at the bottom of the sea. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, I think that it's the same sort of heightened nature of it. This first deep, I mean, and part of the, the coverage is because this is the first rescue of its kind in history, or rescue attempt, I should say. Um, and, I, but I think that like the cinematic aspect of that is the same thing that is making people think about it as this sort of detached layer of remove that is allowing oh, and the titanic just like have fun with it thing. that that too that it's too. a goof um, it's a joke that too uh but it's uh, i mean i think it when it comes goof. to they went down to the titanic and got lost as a goof what are you gonna say no we goofed no i'm sorry we goofed not as a goof um, that's, a comes... that's a reference to David Wayne's The Ten, everybody. Yeah, uh-huh. go rent that movie. Movie. No, that's a good time. Yeah, go rent that it's movie. It's a goof. I did it as a goof. Uh, yeah, go rent that and, and 700 MRI machines um, as a goof. Uh, the, uh, Film. <laughs> but I think, you know, ultimately, everybody has to, you know, and I say this as someone who's taking great pleasure dancing on the graves of, of certain Republicans who have died and been in the public spotlight. Not um, even death could conjure respect. From yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think everybody has to draw their own line as to what they feel is moral and amoral. I I don't begrudge necessarily some of the comments that I've seen. I think some of the jokes, particularly related to like the video game controllers that people are going to be using, like the bonga controller that people are going to be using to go it's down pilot the rescue the submarines um, are amusing. I have laughed. I've chortled privately about that. Um, but I personally... I'm a little too overcome by the horror of what's happening to sort of make those jokes myself in a public forum. Um, and I agree with Katie that this seems like one of the worst possible ways to die. And uh, it freaks me the fuck out. Um, but, you know, you can mm-hmm. draw your own line. Katie, will this shade the next time you watch Titanic? Do you feel no. the same way? I saw CNN dredging up, and that, that's not a pun, uh, <laughs> quotes from James Cameron about, of like, course. why why you should just watch titanic or like what going to the titanic is like and i'm like we're really finding our angle here aren't we like, well and i also think there's titanic a lot of is so monolithic like, as a film well, that we're, the new york, we're on that point look to james cameron is, for, to understand the, this. the new york times is reporting that wendy rush who's the uh ocean gate comms director and the wife of the ceo mm-hmm. slash pilot stockton mm-hmm. rush is the great great grandchild of titanic victims isidore and ida strauss yeah fictionalized versions of whom are in the movie titanic Aren't they the old people in the bed? Isn't that those sure. two? I haven't actually opened the article. I'm doing that wonderful thing where you just read the tweet. Mm-hmm. But, uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I also feel like the Titanic wreck is like not in great stable condition. It's like of many other things, the more people who go there, the like faster it's going to deteriorate. And there's a lot of reasons not to go to the Titanic, including personal safety. I just, you know, just don't, don't one, do one thing has been true throughout history. It's that there are a lot of good reasons not to go to the Titanic. Uh-huh. And I think uh, there's only a lesson there. It's not a full boat anymore. Yeah, sure. it's split in half, as I we saw in the movie Titanic, turns out. Anyway, I hope no lie. <laughs> this is so sad. You didn't see the flash. Years in the making. All right, anyway. All right. Many, let me set this up. Let me set this up David apparently I, has an Dave intro here. I'm going to kick it to Dave. But 
there was this movie that opened recently. It's called The Flash. Um, you may not have heard about it because it seems like a lot of people didn't get the memo. But this was hyped uh, from not particularly reputable sources for a long time to be the the secret, you know, the ace up the sleeve of the DC EU's film library. Didn't Tom this Cruise going call to be, it like the greatest movie, the greatest yeah, comic book and movie? David Zaslov, who is everyone's favorite. CEO has been One raving of those about not particularly it for reputable sources, I would yeah, say, months David on Tesla end himself. as <laughs> like, you know, a real, a real outlier from the rest of the DCU's output. And then they screened it at CinemaCon in April. And, uh, you know, people are pretty hooray for Hollywood over there. Um, but the reports out of that screening, which is the same place they launched Tom Cruise, uh, Tom Cruise Maverick, it's a uh-huh. 40 flip that works, um, yep. last year, we're all going cuckoo for it. Uh, and it seemed like, you know, despite the Ezra Miller of it all, like at least it was going to be surprisingly good. Uh, and then it screened for critics and came out and, uh, it seems like that was not the reaction. Dave... You, unlike me, have had the bravery mm-hmm. in time to uh, join the Speed Force and see the Flash. Can you report yeah. back on your experience? Yeah, I think one thing from your summation that might add a little bit of uh, perspective here, it opened lower than Black Adam. Wow. And uh, it is, it's a bomb. Uh, unless it increases its take somehow over the next two weeks. Kind of doomed. Uh, rumored uh, that it costs somewhere around $200 million to make. A lot of people are suggesting that it's, it's actually higher than that because of how many times they had to remake parts of it. Uh, and uh, is has a gigantic marketing push, $100 million at least. Uh, so uh, it's, it's going to cost a lot. Uh, it's going to cost Warner Brothers a lot. Probably a lot more than just releasing an okay Batgirl film. Uh, but that's oh not what we got. Instead, we got the Flash, which is at best a mixed bag, at worst just pointless and doesn't what? have to exist. This is a funny movie. I I said I said at best a mixed bag. <laughs> wow. I mean, if you know that if it's like a goofy I'm, Hollywood I'm blockbuster <laughs> and Patches is jumping into its defense, that we got real problems here. Warcraft. Aquaman, problems. top ten film of whatever year it came out. <laughs> so yeah. let me just preface my opinions. With there's that. a lot of there's a lot of stuff in this movie that works, I think, within the movie and uh, especially the dual performance uh, by Ezra Miller and uh, some of the early action sequences, but. If you are somebody who's been like paying attention to Ezra Miller news, it feels a little weird that in a person who has been accused of child endangerment saves a baby in the first sequence by putting it in a microwave and then makes a joke to the nurse after he saves them that she should get a doctor for her trauma. The Justice League isn't good at that yet. And I'm like, do you guys, are you guys... Do you guys not know what's happening to your movie? Like outside they probably of your could movie? have ADR something into that. Yeah, into that spot. There's there's bits and pieces I like that. that, and then like I think that Ezra Miller's performance as the Flash can jump from like gratingly annoying when he obviously doesn't have anything well written for him to say, but it's like he needs to say something here, to really good when he has a substantive thing to say, usually to himself. So there's a middle part of this movie where I could see it really grates on you if Ezra Miller's Flash doesn't work for you at all because they just do two and the other one is younger 
and how they code that is more annoying. That's how they code that he is younger uh, and longer hair. Go well, ahead, he's kind of like annoying in the original Flash way, and then original universe Flash gets to be more yes. mature. And, and you know, it's a movie. It's about something because Barry Allen's li- literally dealing with himself, and he learns to mature because he needs to see himself be a mess and then realize he needs to become less of a mess and that he has a certain amount of responsibility with his great power i see what this movie's trying to do the problem is is michael keaton walks into the movie and everything falls apart whoa whoa whoa. Uh, well that's probably true but he comes into the movie pretty late like maybe an hour yeah and a half into a two plus hour movie um which i guess i was surprised about i thought it'd be more of a two-hander the way they've been pitching this but i guess that's that's a marketing ploy because you need a batman in a movie to sell the flash um mike keaton not in a big part of this movie although he does show up for the first time in a total like grizzly long-haired lost in jumanji uh mm-hmm. looking mode <laughs> um jumping up on tables and like fighting barry allen the flash and uh that was very fun but uh, let, I, I didn't really know a lot about what the movie was going to be about, finally, in going into it. Uh, oh. To your point, Dave, like, I think the trailers and stuff have been really emphasizing what happens when Barry gets to meet Michael Keaton's Batman, and they have to go on an adventure because General Zod from the, from the Man of Steel movie is back. Uh, Michael Shannon is in this movie. Getting Maybe that paycheck. 50% of it is kind of glued to another actor's fa- body. I'm not sure how much he's actually filmed from the sound of his interviews around this movie not much right but um he's there and his ships are there his world engine is am i get that's a pull mm-hmm. from man of steel i'm not sure i'm getting nailing okay good the world engines show up and it's and been 10 world, years Michael having Keaton to care about batman. these fucking world engines and we're here again <laughs> yeah and they have to do a heist to get supergirl out of a prison because when she crash landed on earth she got caught and locked up and out of the out of the sun she she has no energy they need to go get her out of a russian prison that's kind of fun like they yeah, get I to do a no little energy. heist someone come heist me you know heist me out of yeah, we gotta get you in the children. sun you need to eat your vegetables Please. You vegetable hater um mm. but the the lead up to the movie it was I, i'd say like the first three quarters i was having a pretty good time dave like barry is whacked out and there's the whole baby saving thing um and if and if you're if you're okay with his high energy that is a very strange scene and a violent scene a building being exploded and all these babies raining down it sets the tone though for a very funny babies movie. rain classify down? babies yes. rain down CG it's a baby, baby shower pun. out of is a <laughs> visual baby shower pun. i did not think about that it is definitely a baby shower uh and he you know runs real fast and collects all the babies. The interesting thing about his powers is that he can't grab the babies. If he touches a person who's not running at his speed, they will like zip through the speed force and, and <laughs> plop or, you know, or throw up of these babies. The that to join the speed force. The so he can't touch the babies. So he has to put them on a microwave. He has to put them on a, on a tray and he has to collect them. It is pretty funny. And, and, and a strange sense of humor, which I was appreciative of throughout this movie. Like, it's not corny. It is legitimately funny. And Ezra Miller is a big part of that, as controversial as he is, or as they are. They. Um, like, they, they are 
I, I, there are some moments of physical comedy in this movie that they crush. Like, I, what, the other thing I didn't know about this movie is that Barry loses his powers. When he, when Barry goes to the other dimension, when he rips through the speed force and he winds up breaking the multiverse, which absolutely makes no sense. I, I didn't follow the multiversal logic of the Flash at any point. Like, did not make any sense. And, 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 and it kind of becomes very consequential in the end when, and maybe we'll get there for full spoilers, like, there's a lot of multiverse breaking and cameo parading. Um, but when he finally does, he loses powers. And it's so funny to see this person who's used to running at super speed and trying to eat everything because his metabolism is so fast. Um, just flop and have to deal with a teenager version of himself who is acquiring powers. Um, and there's a scene where he tries to run without his powers and he looks like that quap game am i do you know what i'm talking about no i i sure do yeah and, and he's he's just flopping around like a slow person trying to do the fast speed the flash run it is so funny and, and he has this power where he could phase through walls and he can't phase through anymore he's smacking the walls it is a zany warner brothers cartoon and i yeah. i really enjoyed that dave i mean and that's a lot of the movie i was surprised that we don't get to the like the cg muckety muck until maybe the last 30 minutes when it gets really pretty boring and bad yeah i mean i don't have a problem with any of those parts of the movies i you know love that uh, i actually think it's uh executed pretty well by andy muschietti um even though i could also feel that there are certain parts of the movie that he c couldn't have any directorial influence over which felt kind of weird and it's like those start slotting in as we get to the 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 conclusion and uh michael keaton's batman where who i actually like him in his introduction scene he's the one who gives uh the metaphor explanation of uh multiversal travel it's spaghetti this time uh in case you guys cared uh but that's you know we've come a long Bobby way from spaghetti yeah we've come a long way from doc's chalkboard it's michael keaton and spaghetti in the 1989 batman kitchen uh, i liked all that stuff once he decides to suit up it becomes a weird uh, series of things that they have to do before they fight Zod uh, that ultimately seem kind of uh, pointless and weird uh, for me, considering what the movie was about at that point. So he Barry loses his powers. Zod shows up and he realizes new Barry with his new powers isn't going to be enough to turn off Zod. So they rescue Supergirl, assuming it's going to be Superman because they're like Superman beats Zod. I know how this goes down in history. Uh, it's not. It's Supergirl. Uh, Barry's now worried that, you know, it, it's going to take all of them to take down Zod. And so he has to repower himself. And so they go off to fight Zod, which is all interesting. But our movie is about Barry Allen changed the timeline trying to save his mom. And uh, the movie is about the two Barrys. So once you start adding a Batman in there and a Supergirl in there, they actually can't do much of anything because our movie is so much about two Barrys. So we just have a whole bunch of sequences where I'm like, yeah, oh, all right. Uh, building to... You don't get to know Sasha Calle's Supergirl very much. She is mad at Zod. Yes. That's about it. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. He uh, seems good. And then I think Michael Keaton's Batman, we get uh, peeks at what Bruce Lane's life is like now. He says Gotham's safe. It kind of seems like he doesn't... He's given up being the Batman and uh, he does, you know, come back for this movie and get back into the suit and seems to be doing well with it. But I don't feel there's any actual 
character there. It's Michael Keaton playing Batman again. That's the extent of the character. It's getting the action figure out of the box after 20 years and feeling nostalgic for I mean, he literally pulls the cloth back on the Batmobile and you get this money shot of the 1989 Batman Batmobile. And for me, that took me directly back to playing with my Batmobile toy yeah. that my mom took the yellow missiles out of because I wasn't allowed to have a, a toy with missiles in it. And fuck you, mom. I'll never forget <laughs> wow. it. Well, it's just because those missiles just you know what? all over the house. You know, they do. I think she thought they're of. a bit of a choking hazard, um, but it would have been dope. Uh, anyway, the Batmobile gets one money shot and is not used in the movie. Nope. He does not drive the Batmobile. It just, why did he even, un- why did they take the thing off? I guess maybe Barry did that, not him. But yeah. they take the bat plane. Like, but it's because I, I could have used a Batmobile moment. That, uh, that I mean, that would have made it more of a Batman movie. This movie, yeah, I yeah. think it really loses the plot after uh, Michael Keaton shows up, and I assume we're gonna ring the spoiler gong here. No, we're, no, we're not bringing the spoiler gong to talk about the fucking dead people they bring back. Uh, we gotta talk about the dead people. We gotta talk no, about you, the you, dead people. Sp- you don't need a spoiler. We gotta gong talk about that. the Chrono Bowl, David. Yeah, we gotta talk about I'm the Chrono so, Bowl. I'm sorry. I I am sp- spoiler reverse. I'm just saying we don't need a spoiler gong for that. This is not well, a fucking consider movie this anymore. the spoiler gong. I'm spoiler gong. Culture. Right. You'll have to go back right. in time and change the timeline. Dead, yeah. yeah, dead people. Okay. The gong. The, the dead. The dead speak. So here they speak. They don't have any lines. Katie and David, uh, they go to fight Zod, and uh, everyone but the Flashes starts to die. So they're like, well, we know we could run through time. Let's go back and fix this. And younger Barry, who has not been to the Chrono Bowl, which is this movie's (laughs) uh, visualization of the multiverse or the speed force. Can we talk about the Chrono Bowl for one second? And what it looks like a, a zoetrope? Mm-hmm. And it has some of the weirdest CG choices I've ever seen. Like instead of taking 2D images, it, it shows Barry moments in time that we've seen throughout the movie. So like if he goes back in time, it's it's like cutouts of characters that we recognize and, and scenes that we recognize. A falling Except baby they don't next just to do a microwave, as, you know. Yeah, it's... they don't just do them as as 2D. They're like CG 3D renderings of it, but cartoonish and. And odd. It is a very strange choice. With and and it looks like they've been put through the Pixar app. All of these people um, and made into cartoons. Yeah, very. It's a choice. It's a choice. If it was a comic book, I would say what an interesting choice because it would be very obvious that they were changing the styles for the Chrono Bowl because it's a superhero film with a two hundred million dollar budget. Your mind is just like that. Looks wrong. That looks wrong. That looks that looks like they're trying to make it look real, but it they're they're not they're like it's wrong, and that goes for all the stuff in the Chrono Bowl, including the the cameos from various people, both alive and dead, uh, mostly dead. <laughs> I think Nick Cage is the only alive one, right? Unless I'm the Nick Cage uh, Superman. Yeah, because they didn't get Brandon Ralph, and they didn't get Cavill. Mm-hmm. Uh, Are, is whatever. Brandon Routh not available, or do they just don't oh, no, ask the, for him? The woman who played Supergirl is alive, so but she's there okay. uh, in her de-aged uh, version. I also find it strange that they see a lot of Supermans. Like, why did why is Barry seeing Supermans from different eras, but not Batman's, not Flashes? I mean, there are no cinematic Flashes, so that would make sense from the nostalgic cameo angle. We see a Jay Garrick, a classic Flash, though. So. Yes, that, that is not, sense, apparently but, uh, not based on anybody because 
uh, all of the actors that they thought they were such said, sense said in interviews, like they're not in the movie. So uh, they just they made up the a, call. they made up a white dude. No, nope, Grant Garrison, whatever is, yeah, whatever Grant his Gustin's name is from the yeah. Flash TV show. Uh, very, it's just, it's all strange. Like it is just clobbering us with cameo nostalgia stuff. Well, it's clobbering Which, time. That's the flash. It's right? clobbering time. Well, the and, clobbering is not actually my problem with it. Like, because at that point, the multiverse is coming apart. My problem with it is, one, Michael Keaton, Batman dying, say, you brought me back, fine. Uh, Sasha Kale's Supergirl dying multiple times is, like, just slamming the door on the fridge, like, so many times. This fridge Supergirl. They're like, Supergirl's here. She's gonna fly alongside the bat. Oh, she's dead. Like, it's, it's so short. There's no character development. And by the indications for the rest of the movie, she's not coming back um, because we see her just die a whole bunch of times. Young Barry gets so traumatized by not being able to save everybody. He keeps going back. He keeps going back. He apparently does it for years of his time. He becomes the dark, dark Flash. He becomes the Dark Flash, David. David, did you hear this? The Dark Flash is here, and he has Listen, lots of pieces of metal in him. He got until stuck there's with metal. a DC snap, I'm not going to know who the fuck the Dark Flash is. <laughs> uh, He's part dark, of the Dark Universe. Dark Flash um, is very angry at Barry. Like uh, he's going to <laughs> fight Barry, but uh, young Barry gets in between Barry and Dark Flash, and because Dark Flash is technically young Barry, Dark Flash kills himself by stabbing young Barry. That's your understanding of how it ended, Patches? I, I understand how it ended. I found it pretty anticlimactic and boring. Yes. Boring is the, the harsh. Because this all takes I place in the Chrono Bowl, which is the, the three people standing. not cool. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Ezra Miller plays all three of these characters. It's one person in a green room doing all of these and trying to make it look like it's in some sort of Speed Force Chrono Bowl. Uh, it, really messy. Really goopy, uh, but now with Barry two out of the way, Barry Allen could go back, allow his mother to be. Uh, I murdered. was going to say, I have to admit, and this sounds nutty, that I I thought the Barry mom stuff was kind of emotional. You know, the whole point of the movie is that he wants to go back in time to prevent his mother's death and get his dad. His dad mm -hmm. is going to go to jail for the murder of the mom, which he did not commit. He was at the store. So he, Barry goes back in time and, and changes something to get his mother not murdered. I guess the murderer wouldn't show up. I'm not a, just changing things at the store or giving her the beans she needed or whatever. Tomatoes. Her from getting murdered. I don't totally It's not funny that. enough a movie to have it be beans. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, it's... But, the, but when the, he goes back and he undoes this and he loses his mom again, I thought that was pretty effective. And I think that might be because Ezra Miller is a good actor. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, for, I know this is all couched in like, why are you talking about Ezra Miller in a good way? I've seen just a lot of that, uh, and I, and I will take that ire, but, uh, they're good in the movie. I, <laughs> he sold the emotional stuff. Like that scene they have with the mom is, is heavy, but pretty effective. Yeah. I mean, I like it. It annoys the shit out of me that he never asks who killed his mom. Just. It happened, and the only way to do to stop it is if she has tomatoes. Uh, but I've heard in interviews I've read after seeing that, that's because the director and writers just assumed that would be in another movie. And I'm like, oh dear, what the fuck? Where I'm going to have to hear the tomato argument again? Like, it's uh, feels very weird. And then he goes back to the future. 
and um, things look like they're normal, except when Bruce Wayne pulls up, uh, George Clooney steps out of the car. And uh, that's how, that's yeah, how the movie hear, ends. Did you guys hear about this? George Clooney. Mm-hmm. I did. George Clooney's in the movie. I did. I don't know why. But it's it's why not? AI generated George Clooney, right? No, it's... I would hope. It's George Clooney. He's, He's he, there, getting he looks... a $7 million paycheck to put into Casamigos or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, I see what this movie's going for, and there is a <laughs> lot of... You guys of got twins to feed, all right? If you cut it down just to the Barry stuff, like Patches said, you got probably like an hour, an hour and a half of a movie that is actually about your main character that is investigating his growth without having to do his origin story, but also kind of getting some of that origin cake too. I get all of that. Why Hmm. you have to blow it up to be like this tribute to the entire DC universe, which is not like the Flash isn't the first character I would think of to center that. And then two, not even do like the whole DC universe, just do some really specific uh, dead people, essentially. Um, All felt really weird and i don't know if i would have been able to come back uh i think you can feel that this movie has been in development for 10 years Mm. yeah right where it started as a flash movie genuine what if barry allen was in the comedy dc movie and then halfway through spider-verse happens and spider-man no way home becomes a just mega hit they have to do the multiverse thing. They have to do the indulgent we have a universe thing. And this was the obvious vehicle. But they don't do have it. a I universe. Mean, Isn't that part of the problem? I mean, well, they have they have a legacy universe of other people have worn Superman costumes on screen before. That's what they have. And they had to indulge it, even though I don't think the fan base is really there anymore. And clearly from box office receipts, like the nostalgia for Batman 1989 is not there. Um, or didn't feel present enough in this movie. It's not a two-hander. So it's it's just an odd duck, unfortunately. And I think five years ago, Ezra Miller could have started a good version of The Flash, like a, or a great version of The Flash movie. And we there, get like a fine version. Uh, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein both still have story credits, but not screenplay credits on this movie. And it really feels like their first half of the movie. But then somebody was like, well, what if we had Batman in here? Because the, it's just it's such a hard pivot point. It, it's very confusing to me that they allowed the movie to sort of be bifurcated uh, in that manner. Uh, but it, I guess, is not uh, super surprising to me that the special effects were devised in a way where they could look bad. Uh, because I totally believe that this thing was being shuffled up until probably a month ago. Like, uh, there's so many of these things that are so many things that happen in the movie that could be cheer moments, but exist outside of the narrative that we're telling so much so because it feels like they've just been added in. It's like, wouldn't it be cool if Batman did this? And they're like, all right, cool. Wouldn't it be cool if Batman pulled out a tape measure sort of in his penis area? Yeah, why not? Mm. Throw that shot in. You know, that, that's <laughs> that's sort of how this movie feels. These could have been cheer moments, but nothing would eclipse the ultimate fan favorite cheer move moment when the Flash uh, entered the Speed Force mm-hmm. in Zack Snyder's Justice League. That's correct. So that that was the bar that was set, and it was not cleared. Right. Unfortunately. Which I think uh, also they vaguely reference in this movie. 
uh, when Ben Affleck's talking to Ezra Miller and he's like, that thing oh, yeah, you ben did Affleck's in Glow, and uh, Ezra Miller's like, that was only a few seconds, but I could do like time. And I'm like, that he didn't Oscar say that Gal Gadot that shows did. up. Is that what he said? I'm sorry? <laughs> when you won your Oscar. Yeah, yeah, oh, when yeah. Ben Affleck when you won your fan favorite Oscar. Sorry. Yeah, 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 I was only for a few seconds. Yeah, Gal, Gary has it on the show. Gadot's in this movie. I thought uh, Shazam. Oh, my God, she's too, a terrible, terrible actor. I thought my Shazam God. 2 would be the end of uh, of that, but does get a very good moment where she has the lasso of truth around Batman, and Batman says, ah, I'm a billionaire. Why am I fighting crime? I should be fighting poverty before he takes it off. And I'm like, yes! Finally, mm. someone had Batman say that. Mm. So, you know, there's some yes, stuff. Twitter. There's one for Twitter. Katie, David, did we convince you to run out and see The Flash? No, I have a question for you, though. Should we feel <laughs> schadenfreude at the failure of this movie? Uh, if not, if only because David Zaslav is trying to kill TCM and we can hate him for that also? Yes. I, I mean, think he's it's not really fine. the reason this movie happened, though, right? No, he, if, but don't we want his the, studio to see He hired it? James Gunn. He did. I mean, here's, he's the architect of the new era. Here's the reason why... Um, Ezra Miller, problematic human being who hasn't made any sort of like public statement or apology, so they don't need your pity. Um, Andy Muschietti already on for Batman Brave and the Bold as the director, so he's got his next job. It's not like this is it part one, like fuck this movie. Uh, and like the other, all the other people are going to be fine. I would like to see Sasha Connelly come back as Supergirl uh, if they would like her to because I don't think she did a bad job, but also she doesn't have a character here. So I don't know really if she did a good job. She looks great in the suit. Like I don't, I don't know what I'm going to be saying there. But yeah, I think uh, this, this is also. I keep thinking every movie is the end of the Snyderverse. Like I, at the end of Shazam Two, I was like, oh, goodbye, what Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. You know, you had a great time. Adios. This one, it's like even he comes back after he comes back, and we see George Clooney. The post credit scenes has fucking Aquaman in it. So I'm like, I'm. I've been done with this series since its second installment. It's been 10 years. Please stop, Warner Brothers. If this is how long it takes to put the brakes on something. December. What the fuck? Anyway. Here we go. Orm's back. I mean, we... (laughs) David, Orm's back. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Oh, now. Now he's Orm's back. Anyway, Flash, meh. Uh, that does it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week. Someone will be entering the Speed Force every week from now on, I think, as part of the contract. Um, we signed with David Zaslav, uh, really uh, burying the lead here. Anyway, uh, in the meantime, tell uh, David Zaslav, release Turner Classic Movies and please, in its place, do a hostile takeover of Fighting in the War Room. <laughs> yeah, we will offer ourselves as hostages if, if uh. he will leave TCM alone. I think we're that valuable. Yeah, People had seen The Flash. Maybe TCM would be... Mm-hmm. Max is the place you go for David typing while people are talking. That's what the <laughs> ad should be. <laughs> Tell the people who I, you are. Yeah, yeah, I am Matt Patches. I'm executive editor over at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm on Letterboxd at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, fightingintheworm.com. You want to listen to another episode right now? Go there and listen to us review uh, Man of Steel. Justice League, uh, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, uh, uh, J- Zack Snyder's Justice League, Wonder Woman 2. Did that have a subtitle? 1984, right? Oh, woof, yeah. that movie blew. 
Uh, yeah, we, we covered DC films in the past, yeah. if you want more of, of that, and or we've talked about Titanic. Uh, FightingTheWorm.com. And Dave Ehrlich, uh, I'm very proud of Matt Patches for recognizing that Wonder, uh, Wonder Woman uh, 1984 blue. It feels like it's Matt Patch's catnip, and yet he was able to resist. <laughs> uh, my hat's off. Uh, I am the film critic of IndieWire. You can find me when I'm not on paternity leave, as I can continue to be for the time being. Uh, on IndieWire, you can find me now on Twitter, Letterboxd. I started a blue sky for some reason that I will probably never update again beyond my initial sky or whatever the fuck that's called. Uh, more importantly, you can find all of us together on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review, read it live on the show. I'd say even more importantly, you can find me in the Infinity Conquest at Marvel <laughs> Snap. Guys, uh, I have to go. There's a crying child outside. Wrap it up without me. Okay. Bye. Wait, we're like so close to the end. Okay. okay. Oh, well, that's uh, okay. Nine, now I just need to I'm plug Katie. Katie. Yeah, no, no. Oh, yeah, First no, me. You, then you're I, Katie. I plug myself. You, yeah. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can email all of us at FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. You can listen to more of me talk about stuff on the Ringer's Trial by Content podcast. And you could read uh, the book I did with Joanna Robinson and Gavin Edwards this October by pre-ordering it at the MCUbook.com. She was Katie Rich, who went to go take care of her children. You could Did she say her. there was a crying child outside her house? Her door. Or outside her room. Okay. <laughs> Mm. I, I, hopefully yeah, they're, they're in weird. the house. Spooky. Uh, you could, Get out of there, Katie. <laughs> you could uh, follow Katie on Twitter at Katie Rich, uh, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Uh, you could listen to her on uh, the Little Goldman podcast, and you could follow all of us on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you could answer this week's lightning round question in honor of Asteroid City and Wes Anderson. What would be the title of your book where you born into the Tenenbaum family? That's it. We did it. Back to the Chrono Bowl. I'm done. I'm done. We're done.